0: morning church family today's first reading will be from Isaiah chapter 65 and that's verse 17 to 25 and that can be found on page 563 of your church bibles see i will create new heavens and new earth the former things will not be remembered nor will they come to mind but be glad and rejoice forever in what i will create for i will create jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who, who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be fought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered a curse. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses, others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labour in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be people blessed by the Lord. They and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear the wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like, like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. <coughs> the next reading will be Galatians chapter 5, and that's verses 1 to 12, and that can be found on page 879 of your church Bibles. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand, fir- stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again I declare to you, every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through a whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty Brothers and sisters, I am still preaching circumcision. Why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, agitators, I wish they would go away and be emasculated themselves. This is the word of the Lord.
1: That's a bit of a mic drop, isn't it? <laughs> Thanks, Len. <clears throat> Shall we pray and ask God to help us as we look at his word together? Our Father, thank you so much for this family gathering, and thank you that you don't just want to leave us to our own devices, um, deciding on our own what to do, what to focus on. Thank you that you've given us your perfect, life-giving, joy-giving word. So please prepare our hearts to hear it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, how are you at waiting? How are you waiting? Maybe you've got something coming up in the diary, an appointment or something that you're you're very aware is coming not far away. You're hoping for a good outcome. You're not quite sure how something's going to go. Maybe there's a new opportunity awaiting you, a possibility of stepping into a new phase of life in one way or another. Maybe you're feeling that that old blend of excitement and anxiety. Uh, maybe you're waiting for something that you desperately want and you don't really have any control over whether it will happen or not. Um, a promotion, a job, a partner, a child. Waiting. We're always waiting for different things in different ways. And it's a complex position to be in, isn't it? Waiting. I don't know if you noticed, as Len just read that, Next bit of Galatians five, that waiting is a central idea. It might sound a bit of an anticlimax, mightn't it? God has called us to drum roll, wait. <laughs> oh. No. But if we look more closely, we'll see that actually there's a lot to this waiting. Because this waiting requires courageously standing firm. It requires all the power of God's Spirit. It requires resisting enemies who are opposing this waiting. Now, it's been a few weeks since we've been in the world of Galatians. Um, if you're brand new, then this is what we're working through over these few months, this letter of Galatians. But we've had a little break, so previously in Galatians. Do you remember this? Um, we have Paul, the writer, okay, the apostle Paul. Uh, he was saved, chosen, sent out by Jesus and he's had a radical turnaround, a radical transformation. It came from a Jewish background with all the rules and regulations. Now he's saying God has begun a totally new era. Jesus has come and it's a new era now. It's all about Jesus and trusting him. He's writing this most urgent of his letters. It's very troubled, isn't it? It often has a kind of ring of real trouble to it and urgency. Because there's a bunch of teachers called the Circumcision Party. Sounds like a barrel of laughs. And they are telling these new Christians in Galatia that Jesus is, yeah, he's important. You can start off with Jesus, but then you need to become Jews. You need to adopt all of those religious practices from the Old Testament. So he says to the guys in particular, listen up, you need to get the snip. Only then... Can you and your pagan backgrounds really know that you've joined God's people? And Paul is furious. As Ross reminded us of earlier, chapter one, he's saying you're turning away from the one true gospel, the only gospel, the only message that can save you. Salvation is a completely free gift. Do you remember GMP in the middle of your table, grace and peace. It's all about grace and peace, a gift, a free gift from God. It means that through faith we're united to Christ, we're sons in the Son. Do you remember that? Adopted. God is our Father. And so to return to the law, to return to religious performance, well, that is slavery. Slavery. So chapter 5, verse 1, where we begin today, is a bit of a, like a, a traffic junction, if you like. It's the end of the previous section, and it's the beginning of a new section. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We're free. Don't return to slavery. He's saying stick with grace. Stick with it. Stick with grace. That's the first big headline that we need to hear this morning. Stick with grace. The temptation is always to think that our performance affects our standing before God. A good day, God loves me. Bad day, God hates me. And maybe not always that extreme, but that tendency is often in our hearts. But it is slavery, and it's miserable. First one, he's saying, don't go back to slavery. It's, it's a miserable yoke that hangs on your shoulders. It brings nothing but guilt. You'd have no need for Christ in that sense. You're completely depending on yourself, your own salvation, and it only brings guilt and misery. You're putting yourself in an impossible situation, trying to achieve your own righteousness through obeying the whole law. End of verse 3. He says, if you want to go that way, you've got to keep the whole law. And you can't. That's the first problem. It's impossible. You won't be able to do it. But also, you're, it's as if you're going back in time. You've, you've missed what God's doing. Remember, he started a new era now. It's all about Christ. The law was all about him, pointing forwards to him. The days of the law are over as it originally came. And so you'd be waving goodbye to grace. End of verse 4. Isn't this a horrible idea? End of 4. Alienated from Christ, fallen away from grace. It's a depressing picture, and he's pleading, don't go there. Don't go there. Now, some of us have been Christians for years. Some of us are much newer to it or even looking in on what Christians believe. And it may well be that a number of us are still thinking of Jesus in quite religious terms. What do I mean by that? I mean, it, it's the whole performance idea, isn't it? That Jesus came, okay, he sort of inspires us and gives us a bit of a shot and gets us going, but now it's down to us. Come on, guys, we've got to pull our socks up and perform now. We've got to keep ourselves in God's good books by being a good Christian. I very often meet people and say, well, yeah, I'm kind of interest, interested, but I'm not a very good Christian. We're often thinking about our performance, aren't we, and how, how we come across to others, how impressive we think we are to God. He's saying, no, you've got it all wrong. It's all about grace. It's all about Grace. Christ died in our place. How sweet the sound of saving grace. Christ died for me. We're justified, completely blameless in God's sight because of Christ taking our place on the cross. So quit for thinking your performance makes any difference to your standing before God. It doesn't now, and it won't when you meet Him in the future. If you go down that road, you'll lose Christ. So the encouragement in verse 1 is stand firm, stand firm in the freedom and grace that is yours in Christ. We've been so inspired, haven't we, lately, so moved by the Ukrainian soldiers holding the line. You've seen some of those videos on BBC News, they're incredible. They're saying we will not surrender. They're standing firm. Well, who knows how it will go, God help them but it's staggering steadfastness, isn't it? Staggering resilience under constant bombardment to stand firm. That's the image Paul gives us. Stand firm in the freedom and grace of Christ. Stand firm. God is calling us today to stand firm. Now, it's worth acknowledging that I think this does raise a tricky question, a bit of an elephant in the room. Can Christians fall away? It can sound a bit like that can't it we, you know we talk about being saved justified adopted secure in God but then this sounds like you can fall away and lose all of that Well, if that sounds scary and precarious then let me remind you <laughs> chapter 1 verse 6 grace and peace it's all about grace and peace I just don't think we realize how loved we are how loved we are by God. We're in Christ. <laughs> he said in the start of chapter 4, because he sent the Son, we are now in the Son by his Spirit. We're so secure in him. Nothing we do can make God love us more. Nothing we do can make God love us less. So dare to believe it dare to believe it if we're if we're trying to keep ourselves saved that is what robs us of assurance <laughs> that's what then makes you think oh how solid is the ground I'm standing on because we're worried about our performance rather than Christ's you see those who sadly seem to fall away from grace it's as if they were never really relying on Christ <laughs> but their own performance but no, we rely on Christ. How sweet the sound of saving grace. Christ died for me. So stick with grace. Now, what does that look like? Well, it looks like verses five and six. Waiting by faith. Waiting by faith. This is the Christian life. This verse, verse five, is like a golden nugget. Okay? It's, it's like the whole Christian experience in one verse. And it's worth slowing down and unpacking slowly. So we wait, verse 5, by the Spirit, Sorry, through the Spirit. Verse 5, we wait through the Spirit. That is, God himself empowers and enables us to wait. You see, it's not a small thing. It requires all of God's help to wait like this. He doesn't expect us to hang on in there and stand firm by ourselves. He draws near to help us through the Spirit. And we wait eagerly. Did you see that, verse 5? For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. It's an eager wait. It's not a nervous wait or an anxious wait. Nervously looking forward to judgment day, thinking, oh no, what's going to happen? How's it going to go? How am I going to be? No, it's an eager wait. We're eager for it. Bring it on. It's going to be amazing. Because of Christ, because of grace, because of the cross, the verdict is secure. We're justified. The verdict is secure. So we eagerly await seeing him, meeting him face to face, our Savior who loves us and entering into his joy. Through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith, by faith. See, faith in Galatians is, is the alternative to works. We're not working for a good outcome. We're just waiting for the good outcome that we know we have. We're, not, we're waiting to be received by God. It's not working to be received. We're just waiting to hear the verdict that we know we have. Not working for it. So you see, faith is relying on Christ and all he's done for us. And so verse 6, he goes on to say, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. That means neither kind of religious striving and religious activism, circumcision, nor the pagan idol-worshipping sin that marks the uncircumcised. He's saying neither of those things defines you. Neither of them determines you're standing before God. It's all about Christ. It's all about faith in Christ. We eagerly await through the Spirit by faith. And what are we waiting for End the five? The righteousness for which we hope. This is the goal and destination. Hearing, delighting in that verdict that God has secured for us in Christ. You're righteous, not because of your performance, because of Christ. Now, hope, we, we can very easily misunderstand this because of a language issue. Okay, so in the original Greek, the word for hope is a certain idea. It's not like our sort of everyday English expressions, are, oh, "I hope the weather perks up a bit again. You know, who knows when maybe It's a kind of vague, wishful, very uncertain hope. It's not even a kind of bigger, stronger hope, like, "I really hope to get that promotion." you know wishing against wish. I really hope to achieve this or that." that depends on us and all sorts of factors. No. Hope in the Bible is a powerful assurance of what is certain. That's why we eagerly await it, because we know what's coming. We know what's going to happen. It's like you've got a ticket to see your favourite band, and you're so excited about seeing them. The date is printed there, your name is printed there, you know where it is, you know it's coming really soon. Every day you're getting a day closer. You're eagerly awaiting it, you can't wait. That is the nature of our hope. You may not know the date of when this hope will be realized, but it's no less certain. We will receive finally what has been secured for us by the cross of Christ. Now, do you realize this is a unique privilege for Christian believers, those of us who know and trust Christ? Okay, no one else has this. No one else has this. Our atheist friends have no idea where they're going to be in 100 years' time. And so either it's just, you know, wishful thinking, you come up with some sort of idea, or you bury your head in the sand and don't dare think about it. Or religious friends might, again, they won't be able to rejoice in any hope like this. If they're thinking about some sort of afterlife, it all depends on them and their achievements, their efforts desperately striving to do enough. This is the unique privilege of the Christian, a certain glorious hope that we eagerly await. There's a guy called Cisaborgia, okay, who was a notoriously brutal and successful politician, uh, an Italian nobleman a few hundred years ago. Like many people, though, he died a tragic, hopeless death, and his dying words were these. While I lived, I provided for everything but death. Now I must die, and I'm unprepared to die. What a glorious contrast we have. What freedom we have to look forward eagerly to meeting our Savior. Eagerly awaiting it. It's not just intellectual assent. Oh, I believe in justification by faith alone. I believe in the hope of heaven. <laughs> It's so much more than that, isn't it? It's a, it's a personal, tangible, experiential hope, an active, engaged expectation. Now, how do we actually do this? I think it's got to be meditation. Now, Christian meditation is very different from other kinds of meditation. A lot of other meditation is sort of you know emptying your mind of everything. The Christian meditation. Is what the Psalms talk about. It's filling your mind and your heart with the truths of God's words. I think I've shown this before in a sermon, but we've got this little card that lives in our kitchen. One day closer to the new creation. It was a tagline of Beth's in the church she used to work for. Someone made it for us. Every day we, we see it. This reminds us we're one day closer. Just like that ticket for the gig. Every day it's getting a day closer closer. So you could try, um, I did this a while ago, I'm out of the habit now, sadly, but this has prompted me to get back into it. I had a list of verses or Bible passages that just speak about heaven, speak about our hope, a bit like Isaiah 65. That's why we had it read. Doesn't it just make your mouth water? Let's meditate on those things. Just read them for a minute or two each morning. It will transform your day. We can do it on our own like that. We can do it with other people. In our connect groups, we're looking at John's gospel, aren't we? And every week, we're just marveling at Jesus, how amazing he is. Well, let's remind each other that we're going to be with him forever. Isn't that awesome? All that we see in him, all the, the life, the beauty, the joy that just comes out of him, that we're going to share and enjoy that forever. Let's encourage each other with this hope. What about when we're suffering? Or when a friend is suffering, talk about the new creation. So often I think it's our comfort, isn't it, that blurs our vision to where we're ultimately going. The friends I know that most encourage me with the hope of heaven are those who suffered the most. This hope puts joy in our hearts, courage in our bones, and love. In our actions. Did you notice that in verse 6? Verse 6 Neither in Christ uh, Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. This faith is not a static or passive experience. This waiting is a dynamic and active waiting, expressing itself in love. Now, love will look different for all of us, different personalities, different gifts, different love languages. But the point here is, this is what faith looks like. It's visible. It looks like love. You see, we're justified by faith alone. It's not that we're justified by faith and love. No, he's been so clear, hasn't he? We're justified by faith alone, but justifying faith is never alone never alone it always expresses itself in love and this is where Paul goes next in Galatians we'll focus on it more next week the key thing is that the gospel of grace it does not mean well we just live however we like the law's gone out the window hasn't it no it expresses itself in love that is what the law was all about faith expresses itself in love but for now I think the question for us this week is this do we realize that all that justifies us is faith in Christ? That is it. That is the only thing that counts, ultimately. No religiosity can improve your standing before God. No sin can damage your standing before God. Do we realize that? Or are we perhaps obsessing over other issues? It's such a frequent issue for believers, and it's a helpful recalibration for any church because church cultures can easily begin to go astray when good things become ultimate things. Who we baptise, who and how we meet together on a Sunday and what we do in our Sunday worship, how and when we serve, whether we come morning or evening or both, our involvement in small groups, now hear me, these things are really important, okay? They really do matter, but they're just not ultimate. They won't affect your standing before God. All that counts, verse 6, is faith in Christ, which expresses itself in love. So we don't need to work anxiously. We wait eagerly for our hope. Freedom means sticking with grace. It means waiting by faith. And lastly, more quickly, it means resisting enemies of grace. From verse 7 down. You see, he tells them in 7, you are running a good race. You're doing well. You're running well. But someone's cut in on them. Someone's cut in on them and is stopping them from obeying the truth of the gospel. If you've seen the film Unbroken, you've seen that about Louis Zamperini, the American athlete who ended up as a prisoner of war in the Second World War. Well, before his ordeal in the war, he was setting running records as, as an athlete. He set a record for running the, the mile in 1938, four minutes, 8.3 seconds. Have a go at that. Um, but it, as he ran that race in 1938, people around him were trying to hinder his progress. They boxed him in and using their brutal, sharp metal spikes, they were gashing at his shins as they ran, cutting in on him trying to slow him down and get him out of the race. Well, that's what Paul says is going on in Galatia. He looks on with anguish and concern. These false teachers are doing just that to the Galatian Christians. They've cut in on them, and they're trying to keep them from obeying the truth of the gospel. What's the gospel about? Faith in Christ. That's what obedience is. Faith in Christ that expresses itself in love. Now, maybe this is where some of us are at today. I don't know. I can't see into all our hearts. Has someone or something stopped you, hindered you from obeying, enjoying the grace of God in Christ? It's something causing you to stop trusting Him, stop relying on Him and all that He's done for you. That is a dangerous place to be. Seek help cry out to the Lord, turn to your family around you in Christ. Such hindrances are not from God, verse 8. It doesn't come from him, no. This is dangerous enemy fire. And so Paul uses this little proverb, verse 9, to alert them. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. He uses this to warn them. You've got to act decisively or this is going to spread. You think COVID's bad. <laughs> This church was experiencing a super spreading of lies about Christ, lies about the grace of God in the gospel. You see, this isn't just a sort of interesting theological debate. This is deadly, deadly. And so God takes this very seriously. End of verse 10, they will pay the penalty, whoever this may be, Will have to pay the penalty. Throughout Scripture, God reserves his strongest warnings of fierce judgment on those who lead his people astray from grace in Christ. It's deadly serious. Everywhere Paul goes, though, this religious circumcision party are after him. They're trying to stop him. And so he puts clear water between them, doesn't he, in verse 11? Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. No, saying God has moved on from circumcision. It was a picture about Christ. And so he has moved on as well. It's all about the cross of Christ. It's one or the other, you see. It's very binary, isn't it? Either we accept the offense of the cross it is offensive, isn't it? Saying you can't save yourself. Either we accept that offense or we have to rely on things like circumcision to try and save ourselves. But it's worth noting here, isn't it, that the message of Christ, it does have a sting to it. We aren't to be offensive personally in our manner or anything, but the message at heart, it is offensive to say we need a saviour. We're helpless. We're broken. We cannot save ourselves. We need the cross of Christ. I used to do quite a lot of singing when I was younger in choirs and things, and I, I sang in a cathedral choir <laughs> about seven times a week. We were singing truths from the Bible, but those people singing with me often hated the gospel of Christ. Strangely, it's often the most religious who find it most offensive? Because the message of the gospel, it completely undercuts all our efforts to save ourselves, to impress God. And so there will be pushback. The only way to avoid all pushback is to abandon the gospel. And it's because the stakes are so high like this that Paul furiously writes verse 12. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You think the snip is what it's all about? Well, go on then, cut the whole thing off. It's shocking, isn't it? What's that doing in the Bible? <laughs> but he's not flying off the handle here. These are actually carefully chosen words. You see, I've learned in the history books that in Paul's day everyone was surrounded by all these pagan gods right the, the, the um, Greek gods the Roman gods one of the biggies in the area around Galatia was a fertility god called Kibele. and Kibele demanded all sorts of you know orgies and things in in worship and the priests of that cult would castrate themselves people would have been aware of this so Paul is in effect saying, you guys, you think you're orthodox, real Jews, you're God's people. You're so far off course, you may as well be mutilated pagans. That is how far they've strayed from the grace of God in Christ. And there's another layer. The Old Testament law, which these people loved so much, stated that being emasculated was one of the several situations that barred people from enjoying God's presence in the temple. So Paul is effectively saying, get out of here. With this message, with what you're saying, what you're doing, you are not welcome in the Lord's presence. Strong language, isn't it? It's shocking. It's not exactly inclusive. But it's wholly appropriate, for those leading people away from God's grace in Christ. God is all about enjoying, receiving his grace. Anything that opposes that is to be gone. It's not loving to pussyfoot around error like that. So please, I'd like to ask you to pray for, for anyone in leadership and in teaching roles in the church. The cross of Christ, it is offensive, and many don't want to hear about sin and our need for a savior. It will be opposed and pushed back against. But for all of us, resist enemies of grace. Anything that takes your eyes off the free grace of God in Christ, anything that begins to do that, get it out of there. So we wait we wait. But we've seen today, haven't we, that this waiting is not a, a solitary or inactive kind of waiting. It's full of faith, full of hope, full of love. So let's help each other to wait. Whatever it is on your mind, in your schedule that you're waiting for, the appointment, the opportunity, the, the desires, the things that fill our schedules and fill our minds, let's speak of our hope. Encourage each other to wait patiently for our hope because we're just passing through. Before we know it, the Lord Jesus will return. And we'll be face to face, enjoying his embrace. We wait eagerly. It's remarkable how little help there is out there for us to do this. I was at a great conference a little while ago all about our glorious hope. And there was a bookstore, you, know, you know, dozens and dozens of brilliant books. And a friend asked the book guy, um, have you got any books on heaven? He said, oh, no, we don't really tend to stop them. <laughs> what? <laughs> we need to fill our minds with this hope. We need to meditate on it. I scoured my bookshelves. The only one I could find is this from, like, the 1600s. <laughs> it hasn't got the most attractive cover, but it's a brilliant book. <laughs> it's called The Saint's Everlasting Rest by Richard Baxter. He wrote the whole book to encourage us to fill our minds to fix our eyes on our hope. He encourages us to, to put our hearts in the promised land. Put our hearts in the promised land, where we're going. Let that be where our hearts focus and receive encouragement and joy and strength. Let's pray that we do that for each other this week. Our Father, thank you so much for our certain hope. Thank you that we don't have to wait nervously or anxiously, but we can wait eagerly. So please strengthen our faith. Help us to help each other, to encourage each other, to remember where we're going. We sense that there could be so much joy and love that flows out of us if we only had a clearer vision of where we're going. Thank you that that verdict of righteousness is guaranteed by Christ. Help us to celebrate that and spur each other on with that. In Jesus' name, amen.